Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.32 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 22nd of February, 2022. Holy crap. 2222022. Holy man, that's sure the uh i'm sure the druids are probably just you know salivating over today or something like that but you know yeah i know numerology is is a thing people do it and we have these weird dates and i just noticed that today is the second uh 22nd of the second month of the 22nd year of the second century ad and that's probably sending the druids into a tizzy um if you would like to support this show, and I hope that you do, so that I can continue to do the things that I do, um, you can do so by streaming Satoshis through Podcasting 2.0, you know, if you have to know. And that way, while you're listening to this podcast, you can actually be streaming me value in real time over the course of the hour or so that we do this show together. And it's it, it it's enlightening to see that those Satoshis coming through on my lightning node live and in real time. It's really quite something special, honestly. Um, if you want to know how to do that, you can go grab the Sphinx chat app or the Breeze wallet has a podcaster inside the Bitcoin wallet that is Breeze wallet. Um, and, uh, oh, Fountain. Fountain is my favorite. And I certainly do hope that they fix that heating up of the iPhone because it's just using an immense amount of battery power. Cause so not only does it heat up the iPhone, it really does do a number on, uh, on my battery power. So I really hope they get that fixed, but that's the only flaw in fountain app. Fountain app is great. I love that thing. I just wish it was a little, get it cooler. Ha. Anyway, <clears throat> if you are not comfortable with that, uh, I have a Patreon page. It's Patreon forward slash Bitcoin and podcast, all one word. That's Patreon forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And, you know, I, I appreciate the the patrons that I have and I hope to gain more. And I honestly, if you want to, you know, do that and use, you know, um, support me through Patreon, send me messages as to what you want for this show. I am not above changing the way that things are done around here um, at all. No, I mean, I am 100%. If you have a good idea or, or a new story that you want, that you think is interesting or something else, by all means, you know, contact me through Patreon or you can do, DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open, so you don't even have to be following me. Um, it, it's... I mean, we can, we can make this show whatever it is that you want, but your support nevertheless is always, always, always appreciated. And let's start with a little bit more appreciation here for Denver Bitcoin, otherwise known as Adam O. He's appreciating warmth in his home. He says it's one degree Fahrenheit or minus 17.2 degrees Celsius in Colorado right now. Meanwhile, my garage is 78.4 degrees Fahrenheit and my house is a cozy 72 and a half. Haven't turned the heat on all winter because of Bitcoin mining in the garage is sufficient. So he's mining Bitcoin in his garage and heating his entire house with it. I can only assume that means that he's plugged in uh, some ventilation to suck the heat out of the garage and throw it into his house. And that would be interesting, uh, interesting to see. I don't know if I've ever seen a tweet from Denver Bitcoin as to how exactly he's doing this, but he's heating his house with Bitcoin miners. And from what I understand or, you know, what's been, you know, put out there is that it doesn't cost any more to run an electric heater 
than it does to run Bitcoin mining and vice versa, which I find fascinating because that way you're killing two birds with one stone. If you're Bitcoin mining, if it doesn't cost any more to run a miner to heat your house, then why the hell wouldn't you? Except for understandably the cost of the equipment and setup and stuff like that. That part I get because that's a kind of a, a different kind of cost. But once set up and running and operational, if it costs literally no more in electricity uh, to run a Bitcoin miner to heat your house, then the question always is, then why wouldn't you? It, I, it sounds like a pretty good deal for me. Now, let's, uh, let's do this Canada stuff because it's getting really bad. I mean, it's been really bad, clearly, but it's just, it's like the clown show. You think, you think after the 50th clown that jumps out of the car that literally they've depleted everything and then you realize that the clowns are actually going back into the trunk of the car and then getting back out so it looks like this huge amount of clowns are coming out and it's really not. But be that as it may, this is just strange. And exciting times, I, I, I want to say exciting times, they are, they're just bad. But we live in this, we live in this thing and we're going to have to deal with it. So Canada's OSC warns crypto exchanges not to promote self-custodial wallets. As per a report from Coindesk, Sam Reynolds writing it, tweets from the CEOs of Coinbase and Kraken that advocated self-custody of digital assets are being looked at by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for violating the sanctions put in place to curb the trucker protests in the country, according to a report from The Logic. Canadian Securities Regulator Ontario Securities Commission, or the OSC, sent the tweets to the police as it believed that the crypto executives were offering advice on how to evade the sanctions on funds, according to the report. Late last week, the Ontario Provincial Police and Royal Canadian Mounted Police ordered all regulated financial institutions, including crypto exchanges, to cease trading and freeze the assets of, quote, designated persons, unquote, involved in the trucker protests, as well as 34 associated crypto wallets. Shortly after Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland announced the measure, both Powell and Armstrong tweeted in support of self-custody wallets. Self-custody means that the owner of the digital asset holds the private key for the wallet and thus has exclusive access. An appropriate metaphor would be keeping an asset in a safe with only the owner having the combination to said safe instead of placing it in a bank. In crypto's earliest days, this was the preferred way to store your digital assets. Yeah, it was also one of the only ways. As digital assets became more mainstream, many investors preferred to hold their cryptos on exchanges or with some other custodian, many of which are regulated entities with licensure and insurance. PR representatives from Kraken and Coinbase both have said that the exchanges intend to comply with the law. However, both companies have taken a public stance that they believe money should be uncensorable and users should have protection from unjust seizure of assets. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Jess Powell and, uh, I guess coin, uh, was it Coinbase? Let me make sure. Yeah. CEOs of, oh, so Brian Armstrong and Jesse Powell both stated that, uh, self-custody was important. Now that was the low line, uh, thing that, uh, Brian Armstrong said. Jesse took a more, uh, a more stringent and, you know, higher approach and said, get your shit off the exchanges and put it into a self-custody wallet. He was like, literally take it off my exchange and get it into a wallet. And so those two tweets from Brian Armstrong and Jesse Powell were sent to the RCMP for possibly, I, you know what, I don't know what they're going to do. They're American citizens. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what Canada can do, but the fact that they both have business interests in Canada, those will, you know, can and probably will definitely be affected. However, as personage and them living in the United States, or at least I think Jesse Powell does, if he doesn't and I'm wrong about that, then I'm sorry, but I'm, I know Brian Armstrong does. What are they going to do? Send the RCMP brigade down here to arrest them out of their house on United States soil? I don't think so. State Department would have a problem with that. At least I would hope. And even if they didn't, you know, at one point or another, we're getting to the point where 
you know, neighbors are going to start defending neighbors. And that's going to be, I mean, for some people, it'll be a bright day because that's what humans should be doing. But on other days, you know, on, on, in another way of looking at it, it's really sad that we even have to think this way. But we are going to have to start thinking this way. It's just the way that the clown world has, it's the path that the clown world has laid out for us. And we need to travel that road. <clears throat> okay. One of the things that can happen uh, in all of this is making sure that you are eating well because it's your health, mental and physical, is very dependent on the food that you put into your body. And our good friend Texas Slim from Beef Initiative, the Beef Initiative, you can hashtag Beef Initiative and find out all kinds of stuff about what Texas Slim is doing, aka Modern Tea Man. Um, they, there's a short uh, interview here with Bitcoin Magazine and Texas Slim, how Bitcoin and its ideals are revolutionizing our food consumption. Casey Carrillo brings it to us. I truly felt truly lucky having had a conversation with Texas Slim on the food supply, Bitcoin and the beef initiative. It's almost as if I'm privy to a revolution quietly growing among our communities, a food revolution. As people's eyes are opened in regards to the centralization of our money supply, so too will their eyes open in regards to the centralization of the food supply, Slim explained. It was his own journey down the Bitcoin rabbit hole that coincided with his journey down the food rabbit hole. After learning about how he can connect researchers to consumers, or sorry, researchers, my ass, ranchers to consumers, and how that can improve not only community relations, but eliminate the regression of our food supply, it became his mission. So here we begin with the questions. How were you first introduced to Bitcoin? I was first introduced to Bitcoin in 2017, the day Tom Petty died. I didn't go down the rabbit hole. I was laid up with a critical internal injury in 2019 and laid up for six months. I began to study Bitcoin at the same time I began to study our nutrition in the industrial food complex. My journey down the Bitcoin rabbit hole has been symbiotic with my rabbit hole into the corrupt food supply. What is the beef initiative and why is it important? With a currency that has lost its value, the same food industry that feeds a nation has lost the same value. The beef initiative, TBI, is the new form of food intelligence that local communities need to leverage. TBI is a powerful tool to utilize and is a new form of proof of work when we take the responsibility of taking care of our personal nutrition and especially our children's health and strength of mind, body, and spirit. What's the most important thing for people to understand about the food supply in our world today? The industrial food complex is nothing more than a high-powered marketing campaign that is driven by a false commodity market that has nothing to do with your health, but the control of your perception of what real food is. This fact is proven each day by the reflection of the health of our nation. Our health is comp uh, sorry, compromised, and it is time to step up and make the needed changes as individuals and as community members. Your children's first introduction into food is controlled by a chemical company. What are the some small steps people can take to reclaim sovereignty as you often describe yourself on Twitter? The very first step into regaining strength and sovereignty is to sourcing your food in a decentralized manner. And to do this, you need to meet your local rancher and shake his hand. Look him in the eye and say, thank you. How can I support you? And will you please educate me on what you do and how you do it? Tell them, I want to learn and I want to teach you about a new store of value. I want to educate you on a path to sovereignty that your grandfather knew but did not have access to. After you become a trusted friend and customer, each and every Bitcoiner has the responsibility to serve those who feed us and those who we trust. TBI is providing a concierge service for each and every rancher, farmer, animal protein provider, and yes, even those in the whole and pure produce market. We are educators as well. What's the primary change for the world you want to see come out of the adoption of Bitcoin? Strength in love and spirit. The rest takes care of itself. What are you most looking forward to in the Bitcoin space? Meeting my next friend. How can people connect to you if they're looking to get involved? It's at Modern Tea Man on Twitter. And then there is, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah, hold on. 
Uh, oh yeah. Uh, also on Twitter is at beef initiative. Uh, so that'll get you to the TBI Twitter, uh, account. And then their own platform is beefinitiative.com. That is pretty much going to be the repository for all the ranchers and stuff that, that go into the system of the TBI. So if you could have anyone in the world hear one thing, what would you say? It's time to go toe to toe with anyone who does not respect your right to personal sovereignty. It starts with a new form of food intelligence that is the new rule of law of nutrition. It is the pathway to save a generation of kids who deserve a better chance of innocence and strength. Again, that was Casey Carrillo running that one for, for Bitcoin Magazine. And as always, appreciate Texas Slim for getting himself out there and telling everybody about ranchers and how important ranching is, how important beef is to the human diet. It's not like we haven't been eating meat for before we were humans. Just let that sink in, okay? Before we were actually humans, before we were even proto-humans, we were pretty much eating meat. Some other stuff too, but mostly meat. I mean, our entire evolution came out of our relationship with beef animals and animal protein in general. So if you're just, next time you go to the grocery store, and I do this as an exercise. Next time you go to the grocery store, take a look at what you're putting into your cart. And if the answer becomes, I'm putting mostly carbohydrates into my cart, and you can find this out. I mean, if you don't know, like potato chips, Carbohydrate, bag of French fries, carbohydrates, uh, a loaf of bread, carbohydrates. What are carbohydrates? Long chain sugar. You're eating sugar. When you eat a piece of bread, you might as well take a tablespoon of sugar and eat it. The only difference is, is that it takes a little bit longer to metab for the body to metabolize uh, the starches into sugars. So there is a little bit of metabolic work that goes on. So you don't get quite the sugar high, but you still get a sugar high. And then after you assess what's in your cart, the carbohydrates versus protein, start looking around at other people's carts and see what they're doing. I do this and I, I get horrified when I realize what people are actually putting into their carts. I, we used to, me and my wife used to do this, the same, you know, the same thing. And, you know, now I look at our cart and it's like mostly protein. There are some carbs in it, I will admit, but it's mostly protein. I think that we're, we're, you know, me and, and my family are on the, you know, a better path for nutrition, but we're not, we're not there yet. It takes a while because the fiat mindset was indoctrinated in all of us from the time we were born, and that includes food. Even though you don't know it, it doesn't sound right that the legacy financial system has integrated itself into how, how I eat, but it has. And that's one of the things that Texas Slim is always talking about. It's the, the, the fiat system is so much more far-reaching than we can possibly even imagine that it, it's scary. It really is. And again, this is one of the reasons why Bitcoin offers hope, because once you can change the fiat, I won't say destroy the fiat system because it's freaking people out nowadays. Uh, change the fiat system to, I don't know, something more honorable than what it is because there is no honor, there are no ethics in the fiat legacy financial system right now. But um, what, you know, when we can do that, then the rest of this stuff kind of falls in place. Not building cheap houses anymore. Not building cheap buildings anymore. Shit, there's a building on Texas Tech campus that was built, you know, not more than 20 years ago, and it's falling apart internally and externally. 20 years, and it's a four-story building with a basement. It's a big construction. It's not, it, it's not like an outbuilding somewhere. It is like the English and philosophy department and education complex at Texas Tech University. It's 20 years old and it's already falling apart. All of this shit changes. All of this shit changes with Bitcoin. Yes, I know that we've got price depression. I get it. There's, not, there's still no other tool available to get us out of this mess. It's just going to be a long road to hoe. Law decoded.
Bitcoin censorship resistance capacity enters the spotlight February 14th through the 21st. Kirill Brangnov has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Amid the barrage of last week's regulatory news, from rumors of Joe Biden's upcoming executive order on digital assets to another round of the Russian government's crypto tug of war, the storyline that was arguably the most consequential for the mainstream narrative on the social effects of crypto has been the one around the Canadian government standoff with the Freedom Convoy. The government's invocation of the emergency powers to put down a protest movement combined with the movement's financial infrastructure being one of the main attack vectors has led many observers to appreciate with renewed vigor Bitcoin's capacity to res resist state financial censorship. If a government is civilized, as Canada's can arbitrarily cut off a group it doesn't like from the financial system, then any state can potentially do the same to any group as the argument goes. While there is, as always, much more nuance to the situation, what matters is a simple digestible notion that which the global audience walks away from the shocking news. So far, the main takeaway seems to be this. Financial censorship is scary, but crypto offers a way around it. A series of protests and blockades against COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Canada has been ongoing since mid-January 2022. By mid-February, the impediment of transport infrastructure and general economic and social cost of the unrest have led to the Trudeau government to consider extreme measures such as the invocation of the never-before-used Emergencies Act to suppress the protest. The measures included broadening the scope of terrorist financing rules, specifically targeting payment service providers and crowdfunding platforms that the protesters used. By that time, the Freedom Convoy had amassed a sizable bag of crypto donations, which the government proclaimed fair game as well. Jesse Powell, co-founder and CEO of crypto exchange Kraken, condemned the government's actions, but said that if told to freeze assets by police extrajudiciarily, the platform would probably consent. Powell also advised anyone concerned about government overreach to move their funds away from centralized custodians and trade peer-to-peer. Many of those who condemned the government's actions as overreach admitted that they were not particularly sympathetic to the protesters' core message, which is unsurprising given the general unpopularity of anti-vax views among Twitter intellectuals. The general sentiment of the crypto folk, however, was largely in line with the maxim, quote, I disprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it, end quote. Among the two dominant approaches to financial regulation through a thorough rulemaking is costlier than regulation by enforcement. Laying down a comprehensive set of rules takes foresight and a ton of research. The alternative is sketching general boundaries of what is allowed and what isn't, letting industry participants figure out more specific rules by trial and error. The crypto lending industry has just completed its most expensive trial to date as BlockFi, one of the leading names in the sector, agreed to pay $100 million to settle charges brought by the Securities and Exchange Commission and 32 state attorney generals. Previously operating in a gray regulatory zone, the firm has paid a hefty sum to be told what exactly was wrong with its best-selling product, the high-yield BlockFi interest account. Having received a few pointers, it will have 60 days to bring the offering in line with the Investment Company Act. BlockFi has already announced plans to roll out its new SEC-compliant lending product, BlockFi Yield. In the next few months, we will find out whether the reward that the company will end up reaping was worth the heavy penalty. Last week in the United States, federal and state lawmakers alike were hard at work drafting crypto-related bills. Congressperson Warren Davidson introduced the bill entitled Keep Your Coins to the, to the House. Coming days after the invocation of the Emergencies Act in Canada, the bill proposes to bar U.S. federal agencies from restricting individuals' crypto transactions and purchase of goods and services for their own use. Representative Josh Gothheimer proposed a nuanced framework for regulating stablecoins. The Stablecoin Invocation, or sorry, in, Innovation and Protection Act. <laughs> Under the proposed legislation, so-called qualified stablecoins backed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in a way similar to fiat deposits would be exempt from both securities and commodities regulation. Meanwhile, a group of Wyoming lawmakers proposed authorizing the state to issue its own U.S. dollar peg stablecoin, and at the same time, the Georgia House of Representatives will consider a bill that would exempt crypto miners in the state from sales tax. 
So this is all ongoing at the same time. Crypto, oh God, sorry, Bitcoin has arrived. It arrived actually a long time ago, but apparently, uh, you know, a semi truck sitting on your lawn for a couple of weeks will actually make you look up and go, holy shit, there's actually a semi truck sitting on my front lawn. When did that get there? And that's where we are with Bitcoin right now. It's like, yeah, we've kind of been sitting on your lawn for a while, dude. It's nice that you came out of your front door and, and now he's yelling, you know, now the house owner is saying, get off my lawn and we'll have to see how that goes. But one thing that is good is at least you, we do have sitting U.S. lawmakers who do like Bitcoin and they do want it to succeed. And that is good news. I'm sorry, it just is. I don't like the fact that they're looking at it from a regulation standpoint, but shit, at least they're not saying, how do we make it illegal through regulation? At least they're saying, how do we make it legal through regulation? Which brings me to a point. <clears throat> if it is the case that governments, especially Western governments around the globe, are figuring out that they fucked themselves pretty good with all the money printing, it may be that they are looking at Bitcoin to try to figure out a way out of this mess, but they, can, they are addicted to control like a heroin addict is addicted to the drug. And the only way that they can justify themselves using this as a vehicle to somehow or another roll back all the crappy things that they've done to the world over the last decades is to you know, figure out a way to regulate the living crap out of it. And then they can say, okay, well, now it's, now it's safe. And it doesn't matter. There's always going to be some kid who's got a hold of the code of Bitcoin and says, I see something that nobody else has seen before. If we were to add, you know, or actually not even add anything to the code, there's something in the code. There's some, something that, that Bitcoin can do, an emergent property that we haven't seen yet when combined with something else that maybe the kid does code and thereby doesn't need a pull request for Bitcoin Core, automatically circumvents two years worth of regulations uh, scaffolding that's been put in place by governments around the world in one fell swoop. Wouldn't that be funny? Just some 15 year old going, oh shit, you know, if we take this and I add this to it, then all of a sudden all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Man, I am waiting for that day because I know that day is coming. Why? Because Bitcoin is never going to stop showing its emergent properties. For the next couple hundred years at minimum, there's always going to be somebody that interfaces with Bitcoin and sees something nobody else has ever seen before. Where do you think shit like Lightning Network comes from? Where do you think stuff like PayNIMS come from? It's people looking at Bitcoin and saying, I see something that nobody else sees and I can make that thing a reality. And when they do that, it's going to be cat and mouse with regulators across the world. And they're never going to win. They're all, I mean, they will deplete themselves into the grave before they figure out a way to stifle permanently the power that is Bitcoin. And here we have one of them, one of the possible guys that might do it, right? This is from Andrew Thurvalis from Crypto Potato. Ruby on Rails creator admits being wrong about well, they say crypto, but I'll say Bitcoin. David Hansen, creator of full stack framework Ruby on Rails, recently confessed that his absolute anti-crypto stance was misguided. In light of Canada's recent sanctions against Canada's trucker convoy, he now sees a use case for cryptocurrency, even in Western democracies. The DevStack creator explained his revised position in a blog post earlier today titled, I was wrong, we need crypto. By no means a total convert, he was still sure to re-emphasize his many gripes with cryptocurrency before explaining his newfound appreciation for it. Some such criticisms include Tether's questionable reserves for backing USDT and the many scams plaguing the entire space. While Hansen understood crypto as offering independence from banks, he only saw this as beneficial in failing states like Venezuela or in overly authoritarian countries like Canada. Oh, I'm sorry, I spelled China wrong. Or Iran. 
By contrast, stable Western democracies governed by rule of law had need, little need for blockchain technology in his view. However, Canada's heavy-handed response to protests against COVID-19 restrictions has since changed his mind. The Ottawa Police Department forced crowdfunding platform GoFundMe to refund about $10 million in donations to the movement, blocking their transactions. Shortly afterward, the Ontario provincial government ordered Give, Send, Go to freeze donations raised for the truckers. And finally, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked Canada's Emergency Act. And this granted the government power to freeze bank accounts of anybody suspected of donating to the protest. Given the circumstances, Hansen was terrified that even a country like Canada would take such a shockingly authoritarian response. Quote, I still can't believe that this is the protest that would prove every Bitcoin crank a profit, he wrote. And for me, to have a slice of a piece of humble pie and admit that I was wrong on crypto's fundamental necessity in Western democracies, end quote. Hansen concludes by saying that he was too hasty to dismiss crypto by only looking at its shortcomings instead of appreciating the transactional freedom that it provides. This comes after many years on Twitter lambasting the HODL army with the laser eyes as he describes it. Since cryptocurrencies facilitate peer-to-peer reactions, there are, they are far more difficult for banks or governments to censor. And in the case of the trucker convoy, one Bitcoin native fundraiser accumulated nearly $1 million in donation which successfully arrived in Trucker's possession. Famous whistleblower and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange also resorted to crypto to bypass sanctions placed against him and his organization. A recent Ethereum DAO raised millions of dollars funding his trial to prevent his extradition to the United States. So here we go. Ruby on Rails. And if you don't know what that is, it's another programming language and it's, it's has been very well received. People develop in it all the time. It's like, it's extraordinarily popular. And one of the things about this particular guy is that I had no idea that he hated Bitcoin. I literally did not know until last night when I saw this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. And here he comes with, with this stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing that you see the turnaround of some of these people. And it goes to show that perseverance is really important in this space. Not for guys like David Hansen, but for guys like me who hang around this space knowing that something good is going to fall out of it. And we just, we, we're just recalcitrant. We will never leave. We can't. And it's, not, it's more than just being a part of history. It's about being part of humanity. And I feel that like if I have nothing else to give this entire planet or this world or this existence or the entire body of humanity, at least I can do this. At least I can hang around long enough that at least somebody else gets it. Somebody else got orange-pilled. And here, David Hansen, creator of Ruby on Rails, has now been orange-pilled. Of course, he's still using the word crypto. So we'll have to work on that one, but you know, maybe we might want to cut him some slack. Uh, do we want to do this one? Uh, no, we'll go ahead and run the numbers first. Flammable liquids are on fire today. As you might imagine, we got West Texas intermediate up two and a third to $93 and 18 cents. Brent North Sea likewise up one and three quarters to $97 and three cents. That's very high people. Natural gas up two and three quarters of a point to $4 and 55 cents per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up two and three quarters up to uh, $2 and 74 cents a gallon. So yeah, if you're on the West Coast, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. And on the East Coast as well. Gold, uh, Peter Schiff, having a good day yet again. And that's okay. Or rather like Peter. At least he told people that Hex was a scam. And that I agree with. I won't get into it. Gold up 0.18% to 1903 bucks, Breaking $1,900. Good for you, Pete. Silver up almost a point, $24.22. Platinum is up uh, 0.88%. Copper unchanged and palladium sky high 
6.31% to the upside. Agricultural futures are mostly up and up big. Wheat, big winner today, 1.65% to the upside. Soybeans up one and a half. Corn up one and a quarter. Sugar up one and a third. Coffee is up scant. Cotton is down a half. Cocoa is down a little bit over a half. Dow uh, down a third of a point today. S&P up 0.03, NASDAQ up 0.18, and S&P mini down 0.05. People holding steady, I guess, uh, trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do in the face of Ukraine and the expected Fed uh, rate hikes coming uh, this next month, which, by the way, a little aside here, Jay Powell has uh, made an offering to the world that says maybe they might rethink rate hikes in the face of the Ukraine-Russian thing going on. All I can say is step one, print a fuck ton of money. Step two, realize you screwed up over the last three decades and say, whoops. Step three, rattle some sabers. Step four, once the saber rattling has had some effect and you piss a couple of people off and it looks like there may be an invasion, go back to your dovish stance so that you can continue to print money because there is no way out. There is no way out. There's no rate hike you can do to stop the shit show that is not only here, but is going to continuously come at us. So there you go. Real money is at 37,710 bucks. A quarter million transactions were uh, done in the last 24 hours. That's 10,650 transactions every hour on the hour with 1,084,000 Bitcoin being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 45,000 Bitcoin every hour on the hour. 4.24 BTC is your average transaction value. The median transaction value is back up to 0.016 BTC or about 600 bucks. Block times are slightly low, nine minutes and 52 seconds. And with a 3.12% drop in hash rate, we're actually down quite a bit to 187.5 exahashes per second. Yeah, when the tide goes out, you can see who was swimming with no pants on. The people that left the network right now are the ones that cannot afford to mine at $37,710. That's what that is. Uh, 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 10 and a quarter BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Your shitcoin indicator being Doge is at 13.1 United States pennies. 2,400 transactions are waiting on two blocks to clear. We're up to $720.3 billion in market cap, which is a scant 5.73% of gold's entire market cap. And now we may only get 19.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,965,314.89. And 3,467.65 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at 132.1 million, million, sorry, 132.1 million dollars being run over. Oh, we dipped below 20,000 nodes. We're back down to 19,995 nodes sporting 85,886 payment channels and 76.1% of all of it's being run over 11,555 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And we'll start this one out with Freedom Convoy, Bitcoin passes fundraising test in face of financial surveillance. So this is a question that I've been asking myself because I can't really see a whole, I've, I've seen one thing where a trucker got like a manila envelope handed to him through his window on the ground uh, that had $8,000 worth of Bitcoin in it. And I that was the last I heard about uh, the Bitcoin fundraiser thing. So let's find out if Jesse Willems has any more information from Bitcoin Magazine. Do, do, do. Oh, given the stakes, it might not have been the ideal time to experiment with a relatively new fundraising tool, but when the opportunity presented itself, two intrepid, intrepid Bitcoiners stepped up and enabled financial freedom with the help of others in the community. It would have been hard to predict this opportunity to showcase Bitcoin's power as a protest tool or the overwhelming response with close to $1 million raised. But 
When two fiat fundraising platforms being used to propel truckers protesting COVID-19 vaccine mandates in Canada went offline and the government started freezing bank accounts, the perfect storm for Bitcoin adoption was created. Quote, the trucker protest raised more money from Canadians in a matter of days than the liberals could raise in their entire election campaign, observed Bitcoin core developer Peter Todd on Twitter. After GoFundMe accounts linked to protest donations were frozen and GiveSendGo, which was also providing funds to the protesters, encountered problems with hackers, turning to Bitcoin to raise and distribute funds in an uncensorable way seemed like a no-brainer. And now that the Canadian government is preparing to enact the Emergencies Act, and they have, allowing it to freeze the bank accounts of those suspected of sending money to protesters, the value of a permissionless currency that's out of reach of the government is becoming clear. Canada's Minister of Public Safety has said that at least 76 bank accounts have been frozen under the powers of the act, containing about $3.2 million dollars. A pseudonymous Bitcoiner known as Nobody Caribou has been working with others in the community, particularly, God forbid, Jay Weatherman, to use TallyCoin's platform to fundraise, to, uh, creating a temporary protocol to distribute the funds raised to truckers. After meeting the goal of raising 21 Bitcoin for the cause, 14.6 BTC was distributed to about 90 truckers last week, according to Nobody Caribou. Nobody Caribou and Jay Weatherman printed 100 paper Bitcoin wallets and put them in envelopes with Nobody Caribou distributing them to truckers based on what he'd learned over the previous two weeks, talking to truckers and making them aware of Bitcoin. It took 24 hours to distribute the envelopes. As it turned out, the timing was critical as police started making arrests shortly after the distribution was complete, as shown in videos posted onto Twitter. Each wallet contained the equivalent of roughly $8,000. The remaining six BTC, which sits in a multi-sig wallet, was given to the Freedom Truckers Convoy nonprofit board to be combined with funds from Give, Send, Go, the fundraisers explained on a Twitter's, Twitter Spaces. This unexpected tipping point for Bitcoin has been the result of a series of unexpected failures from the fiat system. It took two Bitcoiners thinking fast on their feet with help and encouragement for the Bitcoin community to turn those failures into a showcase for this critical technology. As one tweet put it, quote, the way the Bitcoin funds were distributed to the Canadian truckers was pretty incredible. It introduced an incentive for them to learn on their own what Bitcoin is and how to use it. I couldn't have come up with a better way myself. Great job, Jay Weatherman, nobody caribou. Nobody Caribou has carefully documented the steps he took to distribute donated Bitcoin, including posting videos on Twitter of truckers receiving envelopes containing wallets that held the funds and describing the process on Twitter spaces and on YouTube. There has been some frustration voiced by Bitcoiners around the need for this kind of transparency, but Nobody Caribou has expressed that at least part of this exercise was to show the public how it was done. Even as the protests and fundraising efforts are ongoing, Bitcoin has proven to be a powerful financial rail in the face of government surveillance and authority. All right, so word on this Jay Weatherman thing. It seems to me from what I've heard that Jay Weatherman threatened to sue Nobody Caribou and Greg Foss, and I don't know why, and I don't, I certainly don't know what for. I don't know what charges you would levy against somebody to be able to sue them for doing a fundraiser with an open protocol. And Jay Weatherman has shown himself to be a bad actor very many times in this space. If you don't know it, I can't get into it right now. I just can't. You're just going to have to go back and ask, you know, go to Twitter, ask questions of your Bitcoin buds that have been here since at least, at least, and I'm telling you this, man, at least 2016. Because around 2018, he was a good Joe in 2016 and I did 2017. But after about halfway through 2018, things started to change. And by 2019, I stopped following him because it was just this, it was just like a crazed, demented, you know, person on Twitter that was talking about all manner of stuff that I was like, what the hell? I don't, I don't get it. In either event, if it's true that Jay Weatherman chose to threaten a lawsuit against Greg Foss, Nobody Caribou, and BTC Sessions, I have one thing to say. Fuck you, Jay Weatherman. You don't belong anywhere close to these people. You are, in my opinion, a parasite. 
and you always have been. You have sucked off the goodwill of everybody in this space for so long, it's not even funny, and you threaten to sue somebody for doing a fundraiser in public on a public protocol, an open protocol, a free open source software protocol, and you call yourself a Bitcoiner? Fuck you, Jay Weatherman. Now, Mexican billionaire says the dollar is hard currency is a joke. Bitcoin News, Andy Savage writing it. Ricardo Salinas Palacio, the third richest man in Mexico, tweeted over the weekend urging almost a million followers to just buy and keep on buying. This is from someone who knows what he's talking about. He has been an enthusiast for some time now. Last June, he announced that his bank was working to accept Bitcoin. In an interview at the time, he said, quote, For me, Bitcoin is an asset that has extraordinary properties. All the advantages of Bitcoin that Bitcoin has, for me, make it gold for the modern world, end quote. He pointed out that you can't go to a store and buy a computer with gold. You have to exchange the gold for currency first. Compare him with Bitcoin's detractors. What do they know about the subject? Just the other day, a Canadian high court issued an injunction against a wallet provider commanding them to provide data on their account holders. Poligio, owner of Mexico's Banco Azteca, sees the weakness of fiat currencies, which can be printed at will, and compares them to the built-in scarcity of Bitcoin. He watched his country's currency go down 1,000-fold against the dollar in his own working life. Quote, governments don't like Bitcoin. It burns them that people can get out of their fiat trap because that is what fiat money is, a fraud. The dollar as hard currency is a joke. The guy is a gold mine of quotable quotes. Last November, he described the U.S. as becoming, quote, more and more like any other irresponsible third world country, end quote. When we look around, we can see that he's correct. And as he says, life is to be lived without fear. We are not going to get out of it alive. Yep, that's true. I guess being afraid while you're alive is kind of a waste of time, isn't it? Um, which, you know, leads me back to the uh, trucker convoy and uh, Greg Foss and Nobody Caribou and BTC sessions and the absolute extreme danger that they put themselves in. And I know a lot of people are out there saying, well, they brought it on themselves or look, they were just, they're so naive that they had no idea. Maybe. But somebody had to do it. Somebody had to create Bitcoin and he was called naive. And now he's got fucking statues erected around the world. Come on, man. If, if we are to live in a brave new world, our generation is going to have the hardest time living in it. And that means a Bitcoinized world. We're going to have a difficult time with it. All of we keep raw rawing about how like, you know, hyper, we can't wait for hyper Bitcoinization. Okay, fine. I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm just saying, do we even know what that looks like? Do you know what that looks like for yourself? What does fundraising look like? Well, look, look at nobody caribou BTC sessions and Greg Foss. Neither, not one of those three gentlemen have ever raised funds before. I think I'm going to make the assumption that they've never been involved in a fundraiser before. And they got a crash course in not only fundraising, but distribution, legal matters. They got threatened. I mean, it's like now they're being threatened again, this time by not some parasite on Twitter, but by the Canadian government themselves. Somebody has to be first, always has to be first. They always, somebody has to be first. And every first person is going to be ridiculed and they're going to get in trouble and it's going to suck. But if we are to live this life, do we live it in fear and wait to die? Or do we live life and then just die? I'd rather have the latter myself. Kazakh, however, is going to die. The Kazakh ministry halts illegal crypto mining operations. Arnold Karimi has it for Cointelegraph. The Ministry of Energy of the Republic of Kazakhstan announced that it has discovered and terminated 13 cryptocurrency mining operations. Yeah, after inviting them all there, this is how you treat them. You just pull the guns out, load them up, let's shoot ourselves in the foot, knee, hip, and the head. 
let's just go ahead and do it. The government executed the shutdown as part of its effort to regulate the Bitcoin mining sector, which has grown increasingly popular in recent years. As per the official statement, the miners were using a lot of energy with a total power consumption of 202 megawatts. According to the Kazakh government, efforts to identify and disconnect mining farms from the electrical networks will continue. Yes, the beatings will continue until we are poor as shit. Following the discovery of illicit mining operations, authorized bodies will take operational and investigatory actions. As the planet's second largest Bitcoin producer after China's crypto crackdown, Power consumption in Kazakhstan has skyrocketed. As reported by Cointelegraph, Kazakhstan was home to over 18% of the world's Bitcoin hash rate as of August 2021, trailing only the United States. In April, before China's mining crackdown, the figure was just 8%. So uh, there's more to the story, but here, it, but it's basically going to rehash what we already know about what's going on in Kazakhstan. But the difference here is that now they are physically shutting down mining operations in Kazakhstan. So they're pulling to China and they're going to have fun staying poor. I mean, they were the second, they had the second amount of hash rate in the world behind the United States. Shit, if for nothing else, they could have leveraged just that for marketing purposes. I am my God, how stupid do you have to be to take a marketing windfall and throw it completely out of the window? Uh, bored apes, you wanna hear about them? <laughs> I do. <clears throat> bored ape owners files a $1 million lawsuit against OpenSea over stolen NFT. And it is decrypt.co's Jeff John Roberts writing. A Texas man who unwittingly sold his bored ape NFT for 0.01 ETH, the equivalent of $26, is suing OpenSea, alleging the platform knew about a bug that allowed hackers to buy NFTs for far below market price. In a complaint filed in a Texas federal court, Timothy McKimmy claims he is the rightful owner of bored ape number 3475, one of a set of 10,000 highly coveted primate NFTs known as the Bored Ape Yacht Club. He claims that he did not list his Bored Ape for sale and that the NFT was stolen and that the buyer promptly resold it for 99 Ethereum or a quarter million dollars at today's prices. According to McKimmy, the ape in question is in the top 14th percentile when it comes to rarity and is significantly more rare than the Bored Ape NFT Justin Bieber recently purchased for $1.3 million. He is seeking the return of the bored ape and or damages of over $1 million. McKimmy, whose LinkedIn profile lists him as the CEO of a Texas iron ore firm. I, what? Okay, whatever. We don't mine iron in Texas that I'm aware of, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, he claims that OpenSea knew about a bug, which was widely reported in the media, but refused to halt trading in the interest of his profits. Quote, instead of shutting down its platform to address and rectify these security issues, defendant continued to operate. Defendant risked the security of its users' NFTs and digital vaults to continue collecting 2.5% of every transaction uninterrupted. The complaint alleges in accusing OpenSea of negligence and breach of contract. McKimmy further alleges that he has repeatedly try, tried to resolve the issue with OpenSea. The company, he says, told him, it is actively investigating the incident, but has failed to do anything more. He is far from the only one in the situation. In January, OpenSea issued roughly $1.8 million in refunds to users affected by the exploit, though it remains unclear how exactly the company is handling reimbursements and determining refund amounts. McKinney's complaint cites chatter in NFT forums that alleges OpenSea has been approaching other victims of the bug and offering them a floor price, which is the lowest priced asset in any given NFT collection, even if their particular NFT is worth more and only so long as they sign a non-disclosure agreement. OpenSea did not immediately reply for a request about this. The lawsuit filed on Friday, could be followed by others. A law firm in the Northeast is soliciting complaints from other OpenSea customers who lost NFTs due to the bug with the goal of filing a class action complaint. McKinney, meanwhile, claims one goal of the lawsuit is to force OpenSea to tighten up its security practices. Yeah, good luck on that. Quote, plaintiff brings this lawsuit 
to protect the interest of NFT owners who reside in countries worldwide and use defendant's platform. Plaintiff brings this lawsuit to force defendant to enact sufficient security measures and address the known susceptibilities of its interface, states the complaint. The lawsuit comes during a rough stretch for OpenSea, the world's largest scam platform, oh, um, NFT platform, uh, prior to the discovery of the bug that allowed people to buy valuable scams, or rather NFTs, for the as low as 0.01 ETH, a senior executive resigned in the wake of insider trading allegations. Meanwhile, a new controversy emerged this weekend related to a phishing campaign that has been or seen OpenSea customers fleeced for yet more of their NFTs, a situation the company says does not arise from a vulnerability in the platform. Yeah. How are those NFTs, bro? <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just too damn funny not to. Uh, Russia's Ministry of Finance actually submits Bitcoin bill proposal. Nomsios has it for Bitcoin magazine. Russia's Ministry of Finance has submitted a draft bill on Bitcoin regulation in the country weeks after the government approved the concept of creating legislation specifically for cryptocurrencies. Quote, the use of digital currencies as a means of payment on the territory of the Russian Federation will continue to be prohibited. Under the proposed regulation, digital currencies are considered solely as an investment vehicle, the Ministry of Finance said in a statement on Monday. <clears throat> the draft bill comes after an intense dispute between the Bank of Russia and the Ministry of Finance, which hold opposing views regarding the optimal future of Bitcoin and shitcoins regulation in the country. While the ministry has strived to accommodate the burgeoning technology into a legal framework, the central bank has called once and again for a complete ban on the trading of mining of Bitcoin. Earlier this month, the Russian government gave the ministry the finger, I mean the green light, to propose a bill encompassing the regulation of cryptocurrency, effectively discarding the Bank of Russia's suggestions that the proliferation of Bitcoin should not be allowed in the country and outlining an initial plan for the legislation. The decision to move forward with regulation instead of a ban came on the heels of signals sent by Russian President Vladimir Putin, who late January highlighted the country's competitive advantages in Bitcoin mining. The bill submitted by the Ministry of Finance provisions several restrictions for Russians interested in investing in Bitcoin, including identification requirements, investment limits, custody arrangements, and so forth and so on. So there you go. They've actually done it. And we knew what was going to be, you know, we, we kind of knew what was going to be in the bill, but they've actually put the bill on the floor. So now we get to see what happens next, right? Right. BlackRock has entered the chat. Coinbase, George Kaloudis has it. Coindesk's Ian Allison reports that BlackRock may be planning to offer crypto trading to its clients through Aladdin, the $10 trillion asset manager's integrated investment management platform. This cuts against what CEO Larry Fink said in July. Fink indicated that there was little demand for crypto assets from clients, which wasn't really surprising given those clients include pension funds, endowments, and other types of conservative capital with infinite time horizons. However, one of Ian's sources said of BlackRock, quote, they see all the flow that everyone else is getting and want to start making some money from this, end quote. Still, it's a bit surprising that the potential Aladdin offering appears to extend beyond Bitcoin, though it's unclear which other shitcoins BlackRock would offer to clients. Bitcoin has solidified itself as crypto's blue chip asset around the time Mass Mutual made a $100 million purchase in 2020. Maybe crypto's total market cap settling between between somewhere, you know, between $1.5 and $3 trillion for the last year or so changed the minds of BlackRock. Maybe it was jump trading, finally diving into crypto in September. Maybe enough Zoomers pestered their high net worth parents about cryptocurrencies at dinner tables until it hit a tipping point. Whatever the catalyst, I think the news is far more important than people are giving it credit for. BlackRock wouldn't explore something if there wasn't a demand for it. On top of that, Aladdin powers the back office of at least 20 trillion, that's trillion with a T, of assets equivalent to 10% of global stocks and bonds. And more importantly, you can't ignore the gravity that could eventually be BlackRock signaling that crypto is okay. 
I know investors are independent thinkers, but it sure helps when a $10 trillion giant corroborates your views. <clears throat> yes, it certainly does. The amount of Bitcoin held on exchanges has gone down every day since January 22nd of this year. This caught my eye in Glassnode's weekly on-chain metrics report, which you should definitely check out if quality data analysis excites you. Is that an advertisement? Oh, well. This sort of stuff happens in cycles for Bitcoin. Sometimes investors want to de-risk and sell coins, so inflows to exchange spike. Other times investors want to hold, so outflows from exchanges to more permanent storages spike. It's no surprise that this three-week period of outflows happened during Bitcoin's run-up from 33,000 to 45,000 because fewer Bitcoin on exchanges theoretically eases selling pressure. So is anyone selling Bitcoin? Well, apparently fucking so. I mean, my God almighty, have you actually looked at the shit over the last couple of days? Somebody's selling something. So I'd, I'd, let's figure out if he's got some answer to this. If someone is, yes, they are. It certainly isn't publicly traded Bitcoin miner marathon. At least that's according to a tweet the company sent out last Monday in response to a Bloomberg article that suggested miners were selling coins in a worrying sign of a shakeout. In theory, miners make money by mining Bitcoin and immediately selling it for the local currencies in order to pay expenses. In reality, a number of these are well-capitalized firms that don't need to sell Bitcoin continuously yet. Despite Marathon's tweet, miners did mostly sell coins starting February the 5th through this weekend following accumulation since November 19th, but to call this activity worrying seems mistaken. Shorter periods of net selling from miners isn't really associated with the type of price weakness that would worry a seasoned investor. To boot, the last prolonged period of net selling by miners was from January to March 2021, a period which was punctuated by astounding price performance and the first time Bitcoin broke $60,000. The three preceding narratives are loosely tied together. Some people think Bitcoiners are attempting to rebuild the financial system with code and that along the way, these coders are learning why things are the way they are. I particularly agree, but I mostly disagree. No, I should, I'm going to read that again. I partially agree, but I mostly disagree. Bitcoin is different. And the system these devs are building is in its own category. This is precisely why it makes total sense that BlackRock is getting involved in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Miners are the commercial infrastructure of Bitcoin. Without them, transactions can't happen and new Bitcoin can't be issued. However, Miners aren't the only one facilitating the order books that give it a price in dollars, Ether, Dogecoin, or whatever. That's the job of exchanges, traders, and market makers. Some may see miners as analogous to the United States Federal Reserve and Treasury Department, minting currency for circulation into the economy. However, miners are also likened to Visa because they enable transactional settlement. But also, not really. The point is, Bitcoin doesn't perfectly fit into any box that we have right now. Ancillary businesses around miners include the crypto exchanges that facilitate secondary market trading between crypto assets. Exchanges are important. They're among the most valuable companies in the space in that they give relative value to Bitcoin and by extension, the multitudes of alternative crypto assets that were inspired by it. In its role as an asset manager, BlackRock counts itself as one of the most important parties in facilitating the government securities trading that gives the United States monetary policy teeth. This is a vaunted position in the global economy not to be taken lightly. That said, beyond helping move financial instruments as needed for the Fed, BlackRock takes part in other ancillary businesses where it can make money, such as buying and selling equities, commodities, and real estate on behalf of those businesses or its investors. But BlackRock is still just that, an ancillary business around the Fed and the economic machine an ancillary business with a whole lot of capital and single family homes. In all, crypto simply represents a new asset class that BlackRock hadn't had the pleasure of making money in yet. That's why it looks to be extending beyond Bitcoin. BlackRock doesn't need crypto yet, but it sure won't hurt to get involved now. Yeah, you might as well pick some up in case it becomes popular. Just saying, that's gonna do it for the morning roundup.
So boys and girls, what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that somebody's always got to be first. And the first people out of the gate are usually the ones that get shot. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but this, this is just a reality. I'm just bringing you reality here. Normandy Beach, right? The, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Operation Overlord, I think is what uh, D-Day uh, was the operational name for it, was Overlord. Maybe not. If I'm wrong about that, please correct me. I, 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 I definitely don't mind being wrong. But D-Day, Normandy Beach. You know, all the, the troop carriers coming across the English Channel, landing on, you know, the north side of France on the beach. And the minute those gates fell, somebody was standing at the front of that line. And they got mowed the fuck down by really brutal Nazi machine gun fire. It was horrible. And they still, even the guys behind them, and these guys, the minute the gate fell on these carrier boats was when they got started getting hit. And they had to, some of the people in the back that still survived because they were protected by the bodies of those that were in the front. They still had to make it not only off the boat, but up the beach, find some cover, and then try to get up to the cliffs to shut down the machine gun fire. It was a particularly brutal time. And if we look at Bitcoin right now, we this is uh, what one, I can't remember who it was. It may have been, well, no, I'm not even gonna say what Twitter user it was, cause I don't know. Um, but wartime Bitcoin is what the tweet was. This is wartime Bitcoin. And you know, we knew that the fight was coming. I think, I think the gates just fell. And Greg Foss and BTC Sessions and Nobody Caribou may very well be the first casualties here. The first real, honest to God casualties of using Bitcoin in exactly the way it was intended to be used. Sure, lots of people have gone down, you know, they're, but they're operating illegal exchanges. They're paying these fines because they had a yield product. In my opinion, that's not catching machine gun fire. Having your bank account closed is catching machine gun fire. Being physically arrested, if this occurs from your homes, is machine gun fire. We are, we are past the point where we're taking a little bit of stray shots while we're crossing the English Channel, i.e. getting fined, uh, being like, you know, having the SEC file a lawsuit because we, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's the shit that was happening while we were crossing the English Channel. The gates dropped on the fucking beach of Normandy when the trucker convoy got shut down by fundraising. That's when the gates dropped. The machine gun fire is here. Be ready. Get your shields up. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.